2: This is Internet Marketing. Welcome back to the show where we give you the lowdown, the inside information, and the word from the experts to help you use the Internet as part of your marketing machine. Internet Marketing is brought to you by AI Digital at www.ai-digital.com. Com. And in a lively roundtable session today, I talked to Daniel Rells and Kevin Newman about web analytics, or should I say the expectations and demands of said web analytics, mobile search marketing, some useful Twitter tips and techniques, and what microphone we use for recording this podcast, all coming up in episode 46 of Internet Marketing. Hello everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Internet Marketing and exciting news. We've actually got three presenters this, this morning. Uh, yes, we are recording in the morning. We've got our, our usual Daniel Rouse, but we also have Kelvin Newman.
1: And your title, Kelvin, is? Um, I'm Digital and Search Marketing Manager for Site Visibility, so I work with um, Daniel on a day-to-day basis, really. So yeah, working on search campaigns and that kind of thing. Excellent.
2: So uh, you'll be talking a little bit later, but, but first, Daniel, we've got quite a few emails, haven't we?
3: We've had absolutely piles of emails coming in. Um Got lots of people, well, asked lots of people to follow me on Twitter. Um, so, we're going to be updating people through Twitter a lot more. And we think we've actually found a decent use for Twitter, which is updating people on a podcast. So, we thought that was an interesting use. Um, but a lot of the emails that have been coming in asking various questions. So, I just wanted to go through some of those, give people some feedback, um, some great stuff coming in. So, first question, which was a real obvious one, was from Mario from a website called proboke.com, which is actually a Spanish music website, um, was actually saying.
2: Somebody's drilling in our show. We can't have people drilling
3: in our show. Carry on, talk louder, Dan. Okay, yeah, Marion from um, which is a Spanish music blog um, and website. I'm basically asking, why haven't we got a blog? Why, why doesn't the Internet Marketing Podcast have somewhere to live? And it's a very good question. We're probably one of the most popular Internet Marketing Podcasts in the world. And the website doesn't really live anywhere. Okay, the reason behind this, I mean, at the moment, it does sit on ai-digital.com forward slash podcast, but it's not the ideal place for it to live because it's within our corporate website. What we're actually going to be doing is launching a whole new website that is all around internet marketing, the podcast, but also adding some blog content and adding maybe some video content and tutorials and things like that. So if you're interested in that, if you follow me on Twitter, so it's Daniel Rolls, so Daniel R-O-W-L-E-S on Twitter, um, you will get the latest updates and you'll get the first updates on when that's actually going to happen. Okay, So, so Mario, very good point. Yeah, we've been horribly guilty of that. It's the cobbler's shoes theory where we really haven't done what we should have done and what we, we preach about all the time.
2: That'll be fantastic when that's ready, won't it's actually done.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, and that really brings me on to uh, the next question, which was from a guy called Paul um, at a website called Condon Kingdom um so i'm guessing that what what do they sell (laughs) down i'm I'm guessing kingdoms of some description i I thought kingdoms as well um so it's condom-kingdom.com.au which is obviously an australian website and paul was asking okay he's listened to the, the podcast for a long period of time now and we're saying what are the basic steps what are the basic steps for people that are starting up an internet marketing business and what i want to do is actually do this as a kind of separate thing because there are lots of um, bits of the podcast previously that would be useful so we're actually going to write a blog entry is one of the first things we do in this new website to actually go right if you're starting up a business these are the podcast episodes you should listen to and one of the key things we'll point you out is obviously site build and seo we'll talk about analytics and we'll talk about usability because they're three of the most essential things when you get going so uh, paul if you look out for that we'll have that up on the new website as soon as it comes out which is probably be about a month time
2: Fantastic. It's great to actually help people to consume the podcast, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I mean, if we can tie this in with a bit more content as well, it will be a good thing for everybody just to give them a better resource. Fantastic. Um, next email was from a guy, uh, from James Walters from a website called Tomorrow People. So that's uh, tomorrow-people.com, which is a design agency. Um, and he was asking a very good question about email systems. And there's some free systems out there and there's some paid-for systems. And we've obviously mentioned Pure. Um, pure360 in the past as an email system which is one we recommend and use all the time which is at pure360.com um, and james's question was really what do you get what you pay for and is it worth paying for and so on and so forth now i don't want to be seen as biased on this because we do use pure and we have a relationship with pure i've asked pure to come back themselves with a response um which will clearly be biased towards pure, but you know, that would let them give you their kind of pitch a little bit. Uh, And I've gone out to two other free email suppliers and asked them to give your part of the question basically and say, what do they think? So, um, in the next episode of the podcast, we'll have responses from all three and we can actually give you our kind of opinion on, on what the best system to use is. I think the bottom line to a certain extent is there are some fantastic free systems out there, but you get what you pay for sometimes as well. So we'll get a bit more into that. Um, One of the most interesting emails we had was a guy from Mark at Ashworth Photography, which is ashworthphotography.com, sorry, .co.uk. And uh, Mark had emailed him previously asking about filtering his own surfing of his website from Google Analytics. And we gave a response that was quite PC-centric, that you could do certain things in Windows that would allow you to filter out your own um, responses, basically, by putting something into Windows that would block your IP address, actually setting cookies on your machine and so on and so forth. Essentially, because of that, it didn't work very well for Mark. So Mark went off and did a bit further research and came up with a really good system of how you can set some cookies in your own website using JavaScript. You can then go into the filtering in Google Analytics and you can block it when those cookies have been set. So what this essentially allows you to do is very clearly block yourself out because some of the other solutions were a bit uh a bit flaky. So what we're going to do is there's quite in-depth instructions for this. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll post up a link in the show notes this time round to a page on our website that lists all this stuff as well. So if you want to filter yourself out of Google Analytics, you're not skewing your own results, mm-hmm. have a look at the show notes and you'll actually see a link through for that one as well. well useful stuff. Okay. the uh, Two more little quick things to go through. There was an email in from carolina at uh, sponsorapuppy.org.uk, which is a not-profit company uh, which is part of Guide Dogs for the Blind, which mm-hmm. is guidedogs.org.uk, um, asking how does the stuff we do apply to not-for-profit businesses? And we've actually found out we have quite a few businesses listening that are not-for-profits mm-hmm. and charities. So, again, along the email stuff um, that we're going to have in the next kind of e- the next podcast, we'll actually have a whole section on not-for-profits. And a lot of that stuff applies to other businesses as well, but we'll do a particular section on not-for-profits to cover off for those listeners. So i oh, we'll
2: look forward I'll to that because I've actually got a couple of um, non-profit clients which might, who might be interested in hearing that.
3: Okay, good. And then the last point, uh, just before one small question for Andy, is Bob Morgan from paramountcoffee.com um, has asked, how do you go about selecting an agency? Okay, now... Um, We'll obviously have a point of view on this and I don't want to make it too skewed towards our point of view. So I'm actually going to ask one of our main competitors um, who we work with on quite a lot of basis as well as how they think you should select an agency as well. And what we'll do is as soon as the new website is launched up, we'll have two blog posts, two different points of view, how you actually select an agency. So we'll say how we, what we think and we'll get one of our competitors to do the same thing. So you've got a fair viewpoint on that. Are
1: we going to interview them, Dan? Yeah, I think we can bring that in as well. There was actually, moving on, it will come into the SES a little bit later, but there was um, the IAB, um, the Internet Advertising Bureau, have done some quite interesting stuff recently about um, choosing an agency and questions to ask, which might feed in quite well to that, Daniel, I think. so.
3: Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. I mean, if you look at the IAB website, which I think is iab.uk.net, um, or iabuk.net sorry um, there's some really good content all this kind of stuff as well and the kind of best practice that people should be sticking to as well but we'll try and give that a kind of very, fair viewpoint in the mm-hmm. next podcast as well the last question was from alan norton um, thank you very much for the feedback alan it's really nice to get positive feedback and literally asking what microphone are we using because the sound quality is so good now with a drill in the background i'm not sure the sound quality is so good but i think andy can tell you what the sound the your microphone is
2: Well, the drilling was very transient. I don't believe it's there anymore. But we're using, hang on, I'm going to cough again. (coughs) See how realistic that cough was? That's because we're using the Zoom H4. Z O O M for mother, H for hotel, number four. If you just Google that, most sort of decent um, sort of audio shops will sell it. It's basically um, a handheld digital recorder. Um, oh here comes the drill again. And as you can tell from the quality of that drill it is very good at picking up uh, sound. It's got a couple of very nice built-in uh, condenser mics at the end. And there's a, a bit of a joke about the the H4 cuz it does look very much like a taser. So if you're sort of if you've got it in your bag and you stop by a policeman, make sure that you get your full explanation ready. But it's a fantastic piece of kit. It's pretty much broadcast quality. My only one criticism about it is that the 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 shell, the body of it is is slightly creaky. It's plastic. And you may sometimes tell when somebody else starts to talk, it kind of goes, as I go, hello, like that. I normally have to edit those out, but apart from that, it's a really, really nice piece of kit. It costs about £200 sterling, so translate that to your local currency. I'm pretty sure it's available worldwide, as far as I know. Um, But yeah, the Zoom H4, so you basically just record, you can record in WAV or MP3, and then you USB it into your Mac or your computer and just drag and drop the file across and do whatever you want to do with it. But, yeah, lovely piece of kit, Zoom H4. We should get them to sponsor us because I'm always talking about the Zoom H4 on my podcasts.
3: I think you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll inquire into that one after this. Yes, um, yes. What we wanted to do now is move on to get Kelvin to talk about search engine strategies. Um, we had quite a few of the team along this week interviewing various people, um, basically kelvin can let you know about it but we were blogging on our apple pie and custard blog as well and um you can find that on the site visibility website so sitevisibility.co.uk um go through there and you actually find that blog on there as well and there's all kind of good infuse it has got loads of traffic through in the last couple of weeks so i'll hand you over to kelvin
1: yeah i really just wanted to talk about you know a few trends that came out of ses london so that's the you know the for people who aren't familiar with search engine strategies, it's you know, one of the touring search marketing conferences that goes around the world. But in terms of the London-based one, it is you know the, the biggest search marketing conference in London. So you get quite a lot of Americans coming over talking about it, Europeans coming over, and it's very much the kind of European centre for sharing knowledge about search marketing. So there were some interesting trends that came out across the, the couple of days that we were up there, and there was just kind of um, five that I wanted to talk about and kind of you know bounce off you guys and see what your opinions were as well. The first one that a lot of people seem to be talking about spinning out a lot of kind of the credit crunch was analytics growing up, as it were. So people wanting greater reliability from their analytics package, greater transparency and a kind of better understanding um, of you know where the traffic's come from because you know search might well have um you know delivered the last click but did they come via a banner ad before that or was it on a blog posting or did they read about um you know did they read a profile of an employer on twitter and that kind of thing which is definitely a trend that um you know seemed to be coming through quite strongly you know in in the sessions that i attended particularly
3: one of the things we've noticed while i do lots of training talking to companies about um, analytics and search and how the two things connect and for years we've gone out to big corporates and they said yeah yeah we've got analytics in place and absolutely yeah yeah, we look at our analytics data every month and it goes into our managed reports what you always found though is nothing was done with that analytics data mm-hmm. so you would literally get the data and people would say oh look good the traffic levels have gone up and they might look at page impressions and things like that but they weren't actually doing anything with the data and improving the website and actually working out where is the traffic coming from and dragging it back? So I think it's a really good point.
1: And I think for like, you know, in the internet marketers listening here, it's a real opportunity to push, you know, your services forward. If you're trying to expand your product portfolio, it's kind of search. You know, people understand that and they look for it. But I really think that there's going to be a greater demand for analytics analysis that's going to come out over the next couple of years, particularly in the you know, current financial climate. Because people have the solutions, they can pay for, you know, Omniture or Hitbox or any of the you know the various you know slightly higher end tools out there. But what they don't get is kind of that analysis and understanding of, of, of what that really means. So that was definitely a trend that I saw across three or four different sessions that I attended. Um, and another one that was kind of moving up is, you know, the, the, the future of search marketing at, at these conferences. I've ten- attended quite a few now. You tend to get a lot of these, you know, future of search marketing or search 2.0 or whatever it is. I tended to find... But um, there was, again, the kind of mobile and international sessions, um, which, again, always are really interesting, and the presenters reel off lots of stats about, you know, the growing search engines and how mobile search is developing. But it's the, it's suffered very much from that curse of, you know, I've seen this presentation at least three or four times before over the last three or four years, which is not to say that, they're, you know, the data wasn't interesting what the guys were talking about, but it's that kind of, I think, there's a real onus on people now that, especially in mobile, you know, the iPhone's really taken off. This, they've stopped talking about what how big it could be And, you know, let's actually prove it and and do some stuff with it, really, I think.
3: Yeah, I think the interesting thing about this is we've heard the same story for three years in a row now that mobile marketing will be the big thing this year. I think what's changed is that um, you have to look at things from a slightly different perspective. More and more now, mobile devices are just showing the web in a normal way. I mean, essentially, if you look at the, uh, the iPhone, it's using Safari to browse the web. The thing you haven't got is Flash. So that's the main difference in that mm-hmm. point of view. There are other differences, but the key thing I'd say is that you need to look at standards compliance more and more. It's become more and more important because the more standards compliant your website is, the more likely it is to work on these different devices as well. Um, you're going to find that, you know, obviously, more and more devices work towards being smart devices. It's the web, wherever it may be, but there's lots of variations and differences. And that's the hard thing about mobile is that there are so many differences.
2: Actually, since I've had an iPhone, I've really noticed that because I actually visited my shortly after I got my iPhone. I thought, this is fantastic. I can be walking along in the street, surfing the net, obviously being very careful of where I'm walking. And uh, I thought, I'll visit my own blog. Shock horror. I couldn't play any of the audio on it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and the thing is, I mean... In every office or every company, there's going to be at least one person who owns an iPhone. That's how prevalent it's become. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I could say, if anyone takes anything away from this podcast today to do with mobile marketing, it's go on your website on an iPhone and see if it's visible. The chances are, because it's using Safari, it will be visible. But can you actually navigate and get to the content? The number of websites where the text, you can't see what the, you know, what you've got that double click that you can do on the iPhone so you can zoom in. But if it's not apparent immediately where you've got to do that double click, You know, you've lost the people there already. So, and you can see in Google Analytics the number of people, if you look at the operating system that people come through on, you can see if people are coming to your site from iPhone.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
1: I've not checked our statistics recently, but um, you know we're looking at kind of like two to three percent. And you know I wouldn't have thought our website is a particularly i you know a website that people would pick up on the move. If you've got a kind of product site or you know a hotel or anything kind of at all local, there's going to be quite a significant chunk of people looking at your website on mobile
3: devices. The other thing that skews the iPhone stats as well, which is interesting, is that um, people that have iPhones tend to be massive advocates of iPhones because it was one of those products that you buy it and you love it, Mm -hmm. and you tend to do all sorts of things and what's happened with kind of iphone applications for example is that um an application will do particularly well because of the fact that somebody gets it and they, whenever they're whenever in the pub they're at work they're out of their friends they show their friends um all us iphone users know we bore our friends to death with our new iphone applications <laughs>
2: free in the room here <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: i'm guilty too yeah uh, so i think this is the thing that you know anything go- that goes out on iphone tends to get promoted through word of mouth and as we all know word of mouth marketing works fantastically well so um iPhone application is really important, but if you can get your website working on, on the iPhone, make sure the audio and the video is in the right format. Um, for working on an iPhone, you tend to do quite well.
1: Cool. So the third trend I found in, the, in my attendance at SES was people going off Google Analytics. I mean, I attended a lot of analytics sessions because that's you know an area that I'm getting quite interested in. But there was a lot of people there, admittedly some of them working for you know people offering a paid alternative. But even amongst people who had no real vested interest, people starting to you know everyone's been very positive about google analytics because it's a great free tool and it, you know it was better than any free tool that was out there already but as people are getting more sophisticated google analytics have given people a lot of confidence in analytics you know so they're looking deeper now and people beginning to say okay well is google analytics all as good as we think it's cracked up to be
3: one of the key issues as well with, with analytics and google analytics is the fact that If with Google Analytics, you do not have an account manager, you don't have someone you can phone to ask a question and say, does this work? There's lots of support around it. There's loads of forums, there's FAQs, all that sort of thing. But the bottom line is if something goes wrong, if your stats aren't recording and you rely on it for a business critical um, decision to be made, it's actually quite hard to do something with that. So unless you've got somebody internally that's very good at digging into Google Analytics, knows how to interpret it, knows how to kind of work things out. It can be a problem sometimes. Um, it's obviously a budget decision because at the end of the day, to pay from these other systems, you're going to be looking at um, money every month to pay for something else, ranging from a few pounds a month up to thousands of pounds per month. But there are kind of different options. And, and sometimes the more important this gets, the deeper you need to go, you may need to move away from Google Analytics.
2: So, Daniel, what what do the paid versions have that Google Analytics doesn't have?
3: There's all sorts of different things. I and mean, Each package will have its own um, pros and cons in terms of, Uh, different ways of reporting you can split out for example if you had a server that was on several different machines and it was load balanced and that kind of thing that can cause some problems with google analytics sometimes because because the cookie setting won't set properly there's there's lots of different things i think kelvin can probably tell you about the different packages.
1: i mean i think the main one that is the biggest criticism of google analytics is the fact that the last click wins so when you're setting up goals and conversions, well, you've only got a limited number of goals and conversions you can set up anyway, so you might have more than four positive actions that you want people to work on the site. There's ways of working around it, but a pay tool you wouldn't have to work around it as it were and um, but it's that last click really, so it's kind of understanding a lot of the packages you can go, okay, well, this person who bought say you sell cars on your website and this person bought a car, but you can see the five or six different ways in which they came to your site beforehand because most purchase decisions isn't made on a one visit to a site. I mean, anyone listening will know that you don't just go to a site once and buy then and there. You'll visit a couple of times. It's understanding which medium bought the people on those various different ones because it might well be, based on Google Analytics, you go, oh, our banner advertising is doing terribly. You know, we get loads of clicks, but no one ever converts. But then you then, you say, whereas our pay-per-click search traffic, that always converts. But actually, it could be, without, if you took the banners out of the equation completely, no one would be coming to your site via pay per because they weren't visited before and then recognise your URL, click and then buy. Yeah, I think that's a good,
3: good point because what we always say when we're, we're discussing banner advertising is that it's brand building. It's much like offline advertising in that people are more aware of your brand, so they are actually more likely to click on your adverts elsewhere and come to your website. So seeing how the different media interact, which is kind of the holy grail of marketing, um, Google Analytics isn't allowing you to track that completely because you can't see the history of someone who's actually come to make to made that click. Now, it is fairly complicated because um, you need to set cookies and track things backwards and forwards. But essentially, if you really want to dig into things deeply, then you do need to go down this route.
1: But it's worth remembering as well as another thing that for a lot of people, they're having to report higher up the chain, the value of their search marketing or internet marketing or whatever marketing that they're doing online. And these tools, while great, can give you too much data. So it's... Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one reason I'm always going to be a a big fan of Google Analytics. You can get the simple data quickly and easily. What you don't want to do is, you know, be trying to convince your boss of the value of a new website, proving why your website's done badly, because, you know, you've got too much data there. That's the problem sometimes. So, yeah, that's another thing to bear in mind when making these decisions. But I think people need to think more about which analytics solution they're using and why. They might well stay with Google Analytics, but at least think about other options that are out there, really. So another trend that came out of a few of the panels I was looking at was social media marketing and how that fits into search. And it seems to have calmed down a little bit compared to recent years. And I think it's that there's this, um, is it Garrett or Gartnett, um, hype cycle, um, which is... I think really quite an interesting way of looking at these things where it's an upward line graph and you reach this kind of critical point of um, hype about it and then it drops down below that and settles to a reasonable level. And I think that's where sort of social media marketing is now. Everyone's gone over the craziness of it Mm. and is starting to find a way of doing it um, in a bit more practical way, really.
0: Yeah, I
3: think what's happened is that a lot of the people, a lot of the talk initially was how you could possibly use social media as part of your search strategy. And what's happened now is a lot of the agencies and freelancers have built in social media to their processes or to how they approach things. So it's just part of the normal process now. So when you're building links to a website, what you'd probably do as part of that is look at the blogs that are relevant and target those blogs and try and get into those discussions or give them content that would help gain a a link from those blogs. So there's lots of different ways of doing it, but essentially I think people are using it practically now, which is great because it means the hype's gone and people are finding realistic ways of using it.
1: Yeah, and the final point, which is you know not so much a technical one, but was quite interesting, was particularly on the first day which was the day I attended most of the sessions on was Brits really not being represented on the panel which I thought was quite interesting for a, a UK search marketing conference and I don't know if this was a kind of um active decision by the, the the you know the people creating the conference and programming it because it seemed to be there was you know quite a lot of continental Europeans and you know Americans over and some of those Americans have you know really well established great speakers you know they do the conference tours so they're really good at it so from that point of view you get a really high standard of presentation But it was interesting that there wasn't many Brits talking on the panel, which I don't know if that's a, you know, why that was, but it was definitely something that I noticed as a pattern really, which was a bit, a bit sad really, I think for the UK's biggest search marketing conference.
3: Yeah, we've, we've seen it quite a lot in the past be the same case. And I think a lot of the reasoning behind it is that the, the marketing teams in the U S tend to be a lot more geared up towards online marketing, which is partly the reason I think, because the fact that, um, it's much more accepted over there that online marketing is essential. Um, Absolutely in the UK now we've got to the point of people realising online marketing is essential, but it has taken a long transitional period to actually get there. And really the it's been interesting how the kind of credit crunch or the recession or whatever you want to call it has essentially forced people to start making decisions they should have been making a long time ago. And we're actually seeing a lot more people moving into digital marketing, shifting budgets around, purely maybe because of the fact that they, you know, they've been considering it for a long time but the hand hasn't been forced until now. So I think it may be a, uh, a nature of, the 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 UK business it may just be the fact that you tend to have lots of advocates in the US that tend to be very good at public speaking so you end up with a lot of that stuff as well so I think there's a mixture of factors involved
2: Mm. can we just have a quick conversation about Twitter Mm. because I know we mentioned it briefly at the beginning but I have been experimentally just trying out Twitter for I think about the last four weeks now because I'm convinced it's useful for something
1: (laughs) I just wondered what your experiences were I mean internally I'm one of the biggest advocates for Twitter. So I I I think every day I have a conversation with someone that we work with either internally or externally about the the value of Twitter and there's a presentation I sent around internally which I can get Daniel to include in the show notes which mm. is a slide share mm. presentation and I think the value of it is is if you have a good network and it's it's kind of this ability to talk to a lot of people very quickly. So I'm in Beijing. I've never been to mm. Beijing before, but I know a few of my contacts have been to Beijing before. Mm. I can say, okay, well, where's, um, I've arrived, my hotel's rubbish, I need to find a new hotel. Rather than searching for that, I can say, okay, well, which hotel's good? And then based on the value of these people that I've got in my network, I can make judgment calls on that. And it's very good from a technical day-to-day point of view. So for example, you know, um, one of the guys who emailed in had that problem with Google Analytics. And there's always things with these programs that pop up that you're not aware of. And if you've got a good, you know, network of people that you're contacted in there, it's kind of like a public instant messaging mm. but the relationships different you know if if you want to add someone to your you know your MSN account or your AOL instant messenger you have to be friends with them but whereas with Twitter it's a lot more public and open so you can kind of you know you don't have to have that same relationship that you do like on Facebook and these other social networks so that's where the strength lies is that you and you're helping other people as well so fellow people you know help you out you know that's that's the the, the real value for it from my point of view Dan what's your experience so far
3: I think that there, there was lots of twittering for the sake of Twittering or tweeting for the sake of it at the beginning. Um, people are not really sure, but I think, as Kelvin says, once you build that network and you know who's in your group, you can ask questions, you can offer advice that people are interested in. Um, the thing we found from the podcast is that the podcast comes out on a fairly regular monthly basis, but there's not much conversation in between, obviously, by the nature of the medium. So it's a really nice way to ask for feedback, ask people questions, see what they want into the podcast. We get a lot through email, obviously, but this is quite good to get a quick response. And people feel more comfortable to say small points in a tweet than they would writing an email that had very little to say. So I think it 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 can help from both perspectives.
1: And the fact is, if you've got a brand, people are probably already talking about you on there anyway. So you should be aware of where those conversations are taking place Mm. and, you know, thinking about how to respond. But look, taking it down a level. So, for example, you know, you're a hotel owner in, you know, in, you know, Ilfracombe in, you know, Devon. And so, you know, how would you use Twitter? Well, you you look and monitor for where people are talking about attending Ilfracombe that weekend and you can, you know drop them a quick comment saying oh you know you know glad to see you're coming down our way have you you know thought about attending our hotel all those kind of things it's it's that kind of connection with people that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get that you know is where the value really comes or even uh, value
2: some sort of um sort of uh, nuggets of information useful information of course it just says uh from the the blah blah hotel room.
1: <laughs> yeah the thing i would say as well not to do is like if you've got a blog just use twitter to you know whenever you put a new blog up it automatically feeds. There's all these tools you can do that, that, like, use Twitter to update your Facebook feed and then pulls from your RSS. And I've seen a few people get in a kind of infinite loop where it kind of updates every two seconds because they updated the wrong one and it, you know, set off a perpetual motion device. But, uh, but yeah, no, I would say use it like instant messenger. That's the, if you can use it like an instant messenger, you're going to get a lot more value. But bear in mind that that's a public instant messenger. So you have to be careful about what you say and you don't want to get into arguments. I mean, I think it was um, Lily Allen and Perez Hilton got in a bit of a to-do over Twitter, um, you know, arguing and it's kind of, it becomes public and you know you've got to be aware that people can read it So they got into a bit of a kerfuffle on Twitter did they? Yeah, a Twitter fight. I don't know. I'm sure there's a. I I can't think a twite.
2: Yeah, Yeah, twite is the obvious one. A Twitter fuffle.
1: I think
3: the key thing is it comes back to the other social media rules, which is make sure you're providing some value. So if you are gonna kind of promote yourself, your service through this, make sure you're adding some value. So don't just say, "Look at us, we're great," but look at us, we're great. Here's a discount for you, or you know, at least add something to the whole conversation. Um, And and just you know, try and build your network up, but just don't follow everybody and get everybody to follow you because you end up with a bit of a nonsensical network. Mm -hmm.
2: I think it's the, the old adage that we keep coming back to, isn't it, is aim to help others as much as possible, even with Twitter, even with Twitter. I mean, with Twitter as well.
3: Yeah, I think there's it, always that thing. If you try and provide value, that's your first kind of um, basis. You'll end up with a decent audience and people will keep listening.
1: And download a client of some variety. So like Twitter using the website, it doesn't work in the best way. What you want to do is download TweetDeck and Twirl are two of the most popular ones what that then does is whenever someone twitters, it pops up in the corner of your screen, a bit like if you've got Outlook mm. and every time an email pops up. Mm. And that means that you can manage who's replied to you, who sent you a direct message. Who, whereas if you're doing that on the website, it doesn't update live. So you have to refresh and it it, it works OK. But, mm. you know, those clients are great. And there's Twitterific for the iPhone. It's the one that I use. So,
3: And Twitterific for the Mac as well. So I mm. do the same thing that from both the Mac and the iPhone. It's the same program. Mm.
2: I've been using TweetDeck, and the nice thing, if you don't mind being distracted, because you have to be careful, it can be a bit dist- yeah. of a distraction. But with TweetDeck, you can set up, um, I think, as many panes as you want to search for a specific item. So you can literally watch the Twitter sphere. I've, have I coined that phrase? Someone must have come up with that before. You can watch the Twitter, Twitter sphere for terms which are relevant to your market and just get a feel for what's going on and maybe even interject carefully.
3: Yeah, so so if you're interested in all this, if you follow me on Twitter, Daniel Rolls, uh, all one word, um, and then we'll update once going on with the podcast, and we'll update anything else we think about Twitter as well.
2: Well, gentlemen, so uh, Daniel Rolls and Kelvin Newman, guys, thank you very, very much indeed, and we'll see you again next time on Internet Marketing. Thank you, Andy. Thanks. Cheers. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would really like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, send them to info at ai-digital.com and feel free to send in MP3 files as well and we'll play them. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this show delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes. Just search under the Business and Marketing and Management Categories or you can find us at FeedBurner at feeds.feedburner.com academyim. We'd also encourage you to leave comments on iTunes. Well, this is Andy White signing off. Wishing you the best until we see you next time on Internet Marketing.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your
1: travel style with Quinn's.